Amen. Good morning. Yes. Well, happy Thanksgiving and Merry Christmas. We are here, aren't we? We are in the middle of the holidays, uh, and it is thrust upon us. Um, you know, I, I kind of committed at the beginning of this 14 years ago. Did everybody enjoy their cupcake uh, last week? It was good. Yes, the ladies that made the cupcakes, thank you so much. But I committed to always be honest with you, and I just want to tell you that this week uh, has chewed me up and spit me out. I, it is like... Welcome to the holidays, man. It is, we uh, just shifted in from Thanksgiving to Christmas, and, uh, and it's, it's tough. Yeah? All right. I, just, I mean, I'm okay to be alone and just up standing up here making confession, but, um, you know, I, I just, I recognize in this, and even in just praying this morning, getting ready for this moment, how easy it would be in these next weeks to just get caught up in everything and just to forget that this is a time of joy. This is a time of peace. <laughs> this is a time of good news. And, and I'm, I'm so excited that you're here this morning. And, and, and I believe that as we gather together on Sundays and as we focus on the Lord throughout the week and all of the different ways that we do that, that it's so important for us to be grounded. And, and that begins, I mean not begins, but I mean it, it, me too, you know. Uh, I, I need to be grounded too. And it's just so easy to get caught up in everything that's going on. And uh, we need to remember, as cliche as it is, <clears throat> the reason for the season, yeah, as cliche as it is um, that, that, you know, Christ is the reason that all of these things happen. And, and so I'm reminding myself publicly, uh, I have accountability, yes, and I'm reminding us together uh, to remember to continue to point to him and to look to him. And, and if you feel your heart getting overwhelmed by all of the things then remember to pull back and to focus on the Lord and to remember that it's about him. And it is good news. Jesus is good news. He is good. In fact, this month, we're going to spend this time thinking about how amazing God is and how amazing his gift to us is. How amazing the gospel is. That the God, the eternal God, took on flesh and became one of us. That he left the throne to come down and to be here and to be one of us. Can I get an amen that being one of us is sometimes hard? <laughs> Have you ever in your life been miserable and felt like the pain of powerlessness and the pain of suffering? Have you ever felt those things and just deep in your heart you said, man, I wish I didn't have to go through this right now? Well, guess what? Jesus signed up for that. Jesus did that intentionally and on purpose. He became one of us. I mean, how many times have we thought about being powerless as human beings? I mean, have there ever been times in your life, I know there have been times in my life when I knew something was good. I knew it was right. I knew it needed to happen. With all of my being, I knew that this is what needed to happen. Maybe it didn't even benefit me, but it was good, and it needed to happen, and I felt my powerlessness to make it happen. I mean, as long as I'm being honest up here this morning, and, and again, I try to always be honest, there are things that I didn't care if they were good or not, and I wanted them to happen. All right, that's fine, that's fine. And, and even in those moments, feeling that powerlessness. And you know, there's times in my life when, when through no fault of my own, I have felt pain and suffering. You know, I mean, I didn't do anything, but man, heartbreak just found me where I was hiding out. And, and if I could have said, hey, how do I opt out of this? I would have certainly opted out of it. But Jesus, our Savior, 
sitting on the throne, looked down at us and our condition and where we were and said, I'm going to enter in to that. I'm going to sign up for that powerlessness. I mean, John chapter 1 and Philippians chapter 2, and they, they just, n- not yet, sorry. Um, th- there's, a, there's a lot of scriptures today, so he's excited uh, back there. But uh, both of those talking to us about the powerlessness that Jesus took on as he became one of us. And so today, we, we begin this series, and, and I just want to tell you that this series is just uh, an, uh, an exercise in love, of understanding the love of Jesus. You know, uh, when you love someone, there's two sides of, of this dynamic of loving someone and being in a loving relationship with them. You know, I mean, I love my wife, and I love my kids, and I love my mom, and there's two sides of it. You know, the first side of that is I love them for who they are. I love them, you know, I love my mom because she's my mom. I love my wife because she's my wife. And, and the, the second side of that is I love them for what they do. They, they show me their love, right? And, and so I love them for who they are, and I love them for what they do. And we see those two sides. And, you know, at Christmas time, we are reminded of who Jesus is. And we love him for who he is, and he loves us for who we are. And at Easter, we, we, we think about what he did right? He, he came, he suffered, he died for us. And, and so we see that side of love. And so as we open up our scriptures and as we get into the Bible, we, we spend this Christmas season thinking about who Jesus is and that side of his love for us. So we're going to begin, we're going to read a few scriptures this morning, starting in John chapter 13. I'm going to read you just a few verses there and then a few verses from Matthew. And then a longer passage from the book of Romans chapter 5. And I hope that as we get into this, you're, you're going you're gonna to notice, you're going to think, oh, this is the first uh, message in our Christmas series, and it's not gonna, we're not going to have any of the Christmas story here, but we're going to be talking about the nature of who Jesus is. God sent us a message. He sent us a message to, to, to share with us his love in, in, in full 3D, in full just experience of his love. He sent us a message, and in, in order to get that message to us, he took on a body. He sent us a message in a body. And that body is Jesus Christ. And so we look at the nature of who Jesus is. We begin in John chapter 13, starting at verse 3. And it's somewhere on this page. Here it is. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped Around him. Then in Matthew chapter 11, starting at verse 28, it says, Man, I'm, I'm, I'm going to read with you guys this morning. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will rest, and will, you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned, to be sure sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as Adam did. Who is a pattern of the one to come? But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to many? 
Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation. But the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man the many were made, will be made righteous. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's pray together. God, we rejoice in who you are this morning. We rejoice in the message that you have sent us in Jesus and pray, God, that you would bring clarity to our hearts. Lord, that we could be strengthened. God, that we could be encouraged. Lord, I pray peace over our hearts. God, that our focus can be on you. And Lord, throughout the, this season and everything going on around us and all of our, our hopes and our desires, God, that at the center of all those things can be the anchor of who you are. Lord, that we can have peace uh, Lord, in looking to you and in looking into your great love for us. God, may the message that you sent us in Jesus resonate in our hearts, and we ask it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen and amen. You know, I've had a lot of people in my life who, as soon as they had power in, in some way over me or, or, or in my life, uh, they began to use it um, in, in ways that, that were manipulative or, or leveraged that power against me. You know, I, I dated a girl once, and, and I realized in, in starting that sentence, uh, I dated a girl once that I've been with Michelle for three decades, like uh, we've been together for three decades. So I'm literally talking about ancient history, right? This is the 1900s. Um, when I, I, was, I was dating this girl, and as soon as, as soon as she figured out that I liked her, she started uh, telling her mom things about me, like, like blaming things on me and, and sort of manipulating the situation so that her, you know, instead of her getting in trouble, I was getting in trouble. She started telling our youth group leaders things like that made her look really good and me look like not so good and her family. And it's like as soon as, and as, soon as I, she knew I, I really was into her, she started using that and leveraging it over me. I had a boss once. I, I had a job uh, in college where I made commission, and uh, I, I, it took me a while. I, I wasn't the brightest, but it took me a while to figure out that my boss would sometimes send me home early or send me on break, and I would come back, and, and this big sale that I was working on would be closed and done. And it, like I said, it took me a little while to figure out, but he was taking my commissions, and, and sometimes he would insert himself in a conversation. If I was in a sales conversation, he would sort of walk over and, and insert himself and split the commission with me because he helped me. And, uh, and he, he eventually got fired, and I rejoiced in that. I was, you know, again, I was younger, and uh, I know I should pray for those who spitefully use me, and I have that figured out now. Um, <laughs> But, and, you know, I, I can't tell you any more stories because I've known you for a, a long time. Some of you I've known for decades. And if I start telling you any more stories, you'll figure out who I'm talking about. But my guess is that you've had this experience, right? Like as soon as, as, soon as someone has any sort of leverage on you, that they begin to use it against you. I don't know if you've been in a relationship and you cross that milestone where you say, I love you. And there's that tense moment, right? And they say, I love you too. And you're like, oh, we've arrived. 
And but then as soon as like you say that, then they start using it against you. And as soon as you don't do something that, that they want you to do, they look at you and they say, But I thought you loved me. And you're like, I thought I did too. <laughs> I don't know if your kids have ever come to you and they've said, but Mike's parents let him do it. And you're like, you don't have any power over me. I don't care about Mike's parents, right? But they're trying to use, they're trying to use whatever power they had. You've got a boss who, who says, you remember that half day you took off two years ago? I need you to work the holidays. <laughs> and it's like, whoa, what, wait. And it's like just as soon as they have some power over you, they begin to leverage it. And, and that's true. It's like a human condition, right? It's like as soon as you recognize that there's an advantage to be had, they take the advantage. But I want to tell you, one of the core reasons that we love Jesus is because he had all of the power, and yet he used it to our advantage. He had all the power. Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 7, it says this, Who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. He served us. He came and humbled himself and used his power in order to serve us. You know, you think about Jesus is in heaven, and, and, and the dynamics of Jesus' birth are just so fascinating to me because, I mean, first of all, he's the only baby ever born to die, right? Uh, every, other, every other child, uh, we believe that at conception that God gives us a spirit and a soul, and, and, those, and we come into existence in that moment of conception, and we exist for all of eternity. But Jesus had existed for all of eternity past is something that we can't even fully comprehend. What does that mean? He had existed for all of eternity past. And then Jesus comes and is born. Do you realize Jesus could have cho chosen who he was born to? I mean, there's been so, you know, I mean, I'm guessing, you know, some of, I mean, all of us, you know, we love our parents. But, <laughs> I mean, maybe you would have chosen differently right? If, if you had had a chance, you know, you're like, hey, uh, I wish I could have been born to parents who were, well, you know, just a little more stable or a little more, uh, you know, all in or ha had a little bit more money or what? You know what I mean? No? Okay. I mean, my mom's watching. I'm in trouble. I, I, I paid the price uh, for that and you guys are staring at me. So, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm just got a loss here. Um, but Jesus could choose. He could choose who he was born to. And he chose to come to these lowly people of low station in life so that he could live this life and he could fully understand what it was to be us. I mean, isn't that, isn't that like reason enough to just stop and bring Slam back up here and just sing again and say, wow, you chose to humble yourself in all of these things. You know, Jesus could have chosen to come as just a fully grown man. He could have just come on the scene as a full-grown man and said, I'm the Messiah, I'm the king of everything, you don't believe me, I'll heal this person, I'll do this thing, now do what I say. But instead he came as a baby, humbled himself, and lived 30 years of sinless existence as a carpenter, right? I mean, he chose that life, that life of service, that life of humility, that 30 years of, of not of, of waiting to fulfill his purpose. And in all of that time, one sinful thought disqualifies him. One sinful act disqualifies him. I, I got to tell you, if, 
if, if I had a choice to, to run the marathon, right, do I want to start at the beginning of the marathon? No, I can't. If I could just get dropped off by the car right at the finish line and nobody knows and I just run across, I just run across, woo, world record, right? I just got dropped off. I just ran across. I'm fab. I spray myself down with water so I look like, you know. But Jesus doesn't get dropped off at the, at the finish line of the marathon. Instead, he signs up and chooses to run the whole marathon, 30 years of sinlessness before he begins teaching and going public with the message that God has given him so that he could come to us and say, listen, I, I, I know what it's like. I have walked that path that you're walking. I know who you are. He chose to do these things. And in choosing to do this, he chose to serve us. He chose to be a servant. He chose to be a servant. You know, we, we don't typically do that. <laughs> we don't typically, when we have power, choose to serve. But instead, Jesus chose to serve. He comes. I mean, you look at all the ways he serves his disciples. Like as soon as he goes, he goes public. I mean, he begins healing people. He begins popular. He gets these big crowds coming to him and he serves his disciples. He feeds them. He leads them. He teaches them patiently. I mean, there's some of those things that are recorded and you're like, how does Jesus continue to be patient with these morons? And yet he does. He continues to be patient. And you think these disciples wrote these things. Imagine the things they didn't write. And yet Jesus continues to serve them. He heals them. He leads them. He's patient with them. He, he washes their feet. He, he serves them communion. Jesus is a servant. And this is not just Jesus' personality. The scriptures tell us, Isaiah 42 and 1, it tells us this is the nature of who God is. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. Here is my servant. The nature of God is that he serves us. Listen, one of my favorite verses of scripture is John chapter 13 and verse 3. And John 13, 3, and, and I read it earlier, and it's, it's, it's the scripture where Jesus prepares to wash the disciples' feet. And in John 13, 3, and like I said, I read it just a second ago, and, and, and maybe it didn't knock your socks off like it does mine, okay? Knock your socks off is an inside joke, okay? All right, All right it's a, okay. But John 13, 3, the, the scriptures say that Jesus realized all of the power was his, that God had given him all of the power. And and in that, I can't read past that without stopping and thinking, how would I act? How would I respond if I was given all the power? And in that moment, it says that he recognized that all the power was his. So he got up from the table and he took off his outer garment and he tied a towel around his waist and he assumed the role of the lowest servant in the house. He goes and he humbles himself to wash the disciples' feet. When he recognizes all of the power is his, he, his response to that is to serve. His response to that is to serve. And, and you know, it's easy. It's so easy. I, I'm the pastor, and, you know, i got to have a sermon every Sunday. Sunday's always coming, just in case you want, you want to know what my life is like. Sunday's always coming. And it's so easy for me to say, oh, let's be like Jesus, and let's serve others. And, yes, we should do that. But can we stop for a second at Christmas time and say, wow, 
Here he is, our Savior, and each time he recognizes that all of the power is his, his overwhelming response is to serve us in unimaginable ways. He says, wow, I have power here, let me serve. And we rejoice, and we say, this is the one we've come together to celebrate, this one whose response to power is to serve us. You know, the ones that are in power, if we have a king or a president or a boss or somebody in power over our lives, they have the right to demand of us whatever they want to demand of us. And the Lord, as king of kings, as God eternal, has the right to demand whatever he wants to demand of us. But instead, he comes to serve, and instead, he comes to strengthen us. I mean, I, I just... I love you guys. I know you love me. The people around me love me and, and all these things that I'm not trying to say, but I'm just saying all of us, it's in our nature, right? It's like we enter into relationships and we're constantly like, well, what can I get and how can I? And hey, I'm going to make a demand here. You know, I'm going to give to get and I'm going to do all these things. Jesus needed nothing, had every right to demand everything of us, and instead he comes strictly to give to us, to strengthen us and to pour into us. Matthew chapter 12, verses 19 through 20, it says this. And this is, just so you know, this is the rest of, of uh, Isaiah 42. I, I read Isaiah 42, 1. Well, this is Isaiah 42, 2, 3, and 4, but Matthew quotes it. So I wanted to jump into the gospel so that we could see Matthew t applying this scripture to Jesus. He says, Matthew 12, 19 through 20, he will not quarrel or cry out. You know the word quarrel means harass or to annoy. Have you ever been around uh, an annoying person? Hey, stop pointing. It's not nice. <laughs> Have you ever been around an annoying Christian? You know somebody that prays super loud in the restaurant so that everybody can hear, you know? Somebody that, you know, they're always just shoving Jesus down people's throat instead of being kind to people. And laying. You ever been around? I mean, and, and what does the scriptures say about Jesus? You know what? He's going to come in, and he's not going to be annoying. He's not going to be putting things down people's throat. It says he will not cry out. You know, the Hebrew for this in, in, in that Isaiah passage, cry out is a word that's used for a dog bark. And I don't, do you have any neighbors uh, that their dogs bark all night long and, and you're like, that is so unpleasant? Are you the neighbor whose dog barks all night long? And just let me speak for your neighbors. They are annoyed. They are, they are bothered. But you know, this means that they won't shout. This word cry out, it means shout or de, um, deride. You know, Jesus doesn't come. I mean, he's got every right. I'm a sinner, you're a sinner. Man, the mistakes that we've made, right? The things that we've done. Jesus has every right. But the scripture says he doesn't do that. He comes as a servant. He comes to pour into us, to strengthen us. Have you ever been in trouble and you knew you were in trouble and you walked into wherever you had to walk in, whatever office you had to walk in and you knew you were in trouble and you were dreading what was coming next? We walk into the presence of Jesus and we know we're failures. We know we've not lived up even to our own standards, much less his standards. And we walk into that conversation, and what does he do? He strengthens us and encourages us and reminds us of all the good things in us. We're his kids, and he celebrates us and rejoices in us. 
And there's some of us that have lost the message of Christmas, and we have this thought in our head that every time I come before God, he's just focusing on my negatives, and he's just tearing me down and remembering all of my failures. And the scripture couldn't be more clear that God, I don't know why I'm screaming at you, I just love Jesus, but the scripture couldn't be more clear that God has removed all of their failures. And his desire is to pour into us and to strengthen us. And we rejoice in our Savior who doesn't cry out. He doesn't deride. He strengthens us. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. And if you read the context of this passage, this is referring to people. A bruised reed and a smoldering wick. You know, reeds uh, in ancient times were used for so many things. They were this, the people would make them into flutes. People would, would, would use them for, for different projects and things that they would do. But they were relatively weak. So when they got wet or something happened to them, they, they would break down. And when that reed broke down, what do you do with it? You know, you don't care. I mean, there's a million reeds out there. You just throw it away and you just get a new one. What is a smoldering wick? It's a, it's a candle that's burned out. You know, Michelle doesn't like the candles when they get really close to the end. So there's like this, this, uh, this thing where, uh, you know, I know what's happening is she, she just lights the candle and lets it burn till it burns it all up. And I don't understand. It's like once you don't like it anymore, just throw it away. But I don't get it. That was certainly not in the script. And now my, my mom is upset. She knows I, you know, she's thinking I wish I had been born to someone else. And now Michelle's upset because of the candles and it's, but she lets them burn out, right? And they just burn all away and they're gone. And I don't know. And I'm sure I'm going to find out between services why now. But And then we throw them away. And that, that's what you do, right? I mean, when the candle burns up and all you've got is the little jar or whatever that's left in it, you just throw it away, right? But what is this saying? These are people that, that this represents, this, this reed and this smoldering wick. And it says that when Jesus comes, he's not going to throw people away. It's like when you seem worthless to other people, when you seem done, when you seem used up to other people, Jesus comes and says, no, 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 no. I still see your value. Let me fill you back up. Let me restore you into a new reed. Let me bring this in and this strength. Thank you, Miss Wilma. Yes, Jesus. Yes. And he says, listen, other people will look at you and they'll say, you're used up and you're useless and I'm just going to throw you away and there's a million of you. And Jesus says, no, 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 I value you. I value who you are. And you may seem like, like you're used up to other people, but you're not to me. Jesus comes and he strengthens us. And he blesses us. And we rejoice in who he is. This is who he is. Remember, he has all the power. Remember, in a certain sense, there, there is a million of me. But he values me. He values you. He says he's not going to walk by that until he has brought justice through victory. Until there's victory in our lives, he is going to be faithful to us and he is going to walk with us through all that this life has to offer. He's proved it by leaving the throne. He's proved it by living this life in pain and suffering and powerlessness. He's proved it. He's willing to walk with us. And we rejoice in our Savior today. Now, if I passed you in the hall and I said, hey, why did Jesus come at Christmas? Your default answer would be to die for my sins, right? 
I mean, that's the, that's the beginning. That's a pretty easy answer to this question that I've said we're going to answer over the course of a month. You probably were sitting there and saying, it doesn't take me a month. Jesus came to die for my sins. But I want to say that while that's true, it's a little bit of a narrow answer. It's a little bit of a narrow understanding, and that narrowness can lead us into some dangerous waters. You see, when Adam was created, he was given dominion over the whole earth. And that in that dominion, he was given dominion over his offspring, of which we are his offspring. And when he surrendered and sinned in that moment in the garden, something that, uh, again, just took that few minutes and has had an impact for millennia. But when he sinned in the garden, he surrendered his dominion over the earth to the enemy. And he surrendered his offspring and in that surrendering, and, and, and some theologians say there's, Adam was a federalistic head of all of humanity. Others say that that's not true, but they can't explain it. But what Paul explains to us in Romans 5, what we read earlier, is that because of Adam, we have in our DNA, in our structure, we have a sinful nature. He says even without the law, if you remember, we read that, even without the law, they were, there was sin from Adam to Moses. And so the only way to explain that is to look at that and say, okay, well, somehow in Adam's sin, it infected our nature so that we were sinners, counted as sinners, and we are offspring of Adam. He is, the, in the beginning, God created Adam and Eve, and, and that was the beginning of humanity, and we are offspring of Adam. And all of us, first of all, are the same and have the same grandparents, so racism is stupid. Just going to throw that in, also not in the script. But we're all born sinners. And in this, you know what? Just like you can't choose your parents, you can't choose your great, 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 great grandfather either. And we're all born to Adam. And before Jesus comes, the only option that you have, the only option that I have, is to be a descendant of sinful Adam. But when Jesus comes, he doesn't just come to forgive us of our sins, he comes to create a new category for your lineage. See, before Jesus, the only category of your lineage, the only descendant you could be was of Adam. And yet the only, the only thing that could be written over your head is descendant of Adam. But when Jesus comes and he lives a sinless life and he dies in our place, and what he accomplishes in God and in the Spirit is he creates a new lineage for us so that now we have the option to be co-heirs with Jesus Christ. And we look at this and we say, you know, that Jesus came to die for my sins. Well, yes, your sins are taken care of, but your sins are taken care of almost from the overflow of grace. Instead, what Jesus came to do was create a new category. I no longer have to be under Adam. Adam is no longer the head of my lineage. Instead, I have moved. And I have accepted the lineage of Jesus Christ. I have accepted him as my savior. My category has changed. And so sometimes in our foolishness, we, we think things like this. We think, well, I've been really good this week. I, I haven't sinned, you know, and I haven't had bad thoughts. And I'm really working on my attitudes and I'm all this. So maybe God's going to hear my prayer this week. Or I have a bad week and I have a bad attitude and I have bad thoughts and I, I do things I know I ought not to do. And I think, well, you know what? God's probably not going to hear me. He probably hates me this week because I haven't been good. And, and the scriptures, they continue to tell us that's the wrong way to think. God is not looking at you and saying, have you been good or have you been bad? 
God is looking at you and saying, are you a descendant of Adam or are you a co-heir with Jesus Christ? And so we look and we say, I'm a co-heir with Jesus. At the end, what comes after Romans 5? And, and I, you're, I know you guys read all of these all, all week long. You're just going to go back and read the scriptures that I had this morning, and you're going to contextualize them, right, like the Bereans, because that's what you're supposed to do. Yes? Just lie to your pastor right now. Just lie to him. At the end of Romans 5 comes Romans 6. And in Romans 6, the, 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 the response that Paul is getting when he says, I've changed categories, now I'm an heir with Jesus, and this is how God sees me. And it doesn't matter how I act. Well, the response that Paul gets is, well, does that mean I can just do whatever I want? Because my lineage has changed? And Paul goes in through Romans 6 and 7 and 8 and explains, no. You've died to sin. Like, like if you're really an heir of Jesus, it changes who you are and your response to sin. Sin, our individual sin, still has an impact because does it create distance between us and God? Yes, but it's just because I'm prioritizing different things. When I don't prioritize the things of God, it makes sense that I'm not going to be an effective servant of God. When, when sin kills something in my life, it makes sense that I can't serve God with that. If I do something, if I sin and it kills my marriage, doesn't it make sense that I can't serve God with my marriage anymore? Is that because God hates me? Is it because he hates me because I sinned? It's not. But what, I, but what God is saying is that when you bring that death in, it limits your ability to serve me and it, and it brings pain into your life. Follow my ways. Follow my ways not because I love you more or I love you less. You are a co-heir with Jesus. It doesn't matter how you act. Except for the ways it matters how you act. But it doesn't matter as it relates to how God looks at us. This is, uh, again, it's, it's foolish to think, well, I've been good this week, so God will answer my prayers. You're either a descendant of Adam or a co-heir with Jesus. That's what affects. But it's also foolish to think, well, you know what? I'm going to get my act together before I come to Jesus. <laughs> I can't, I'm a descendant of Adam. I, I can't just, I can't change my parents. I can't change my great-grandfather. I can't do any of those things. I can't get my act together and then come to Jesus. It's not how it works. It's not about that. It's about this category that Jesus came to create. It's about the opportunity that we have to be co-heirs with Jesus, to change our lineage and to say, I no longer want to be a son of Adam, a daughter of Adam. I want to be a daughter, a son of Jesus my Savior. You know, maybe there's some distance between you and God because you've never stopped to think about the fact that he came in all of his power and he came to serve you. He came in all of his power. He didn't demand anything of you, but he came to strengthen you. Maybe you've never accepted and his offer to be the Lord of your life and to, to change you because you, you thought you had to get your act together. You thought that somehow you could, could make changes that would make you pleasing enough to God that he would accept you. It's not about your sin. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. It's about stepping into this category of saying, I, I believe in him, and I want to be an heir with him. You know, the phrase born again has become kind of an antiquated phrase, and people don't, people hear that, and they have, it's a negative connotation, but 
But this is what it means. It means to move from Adam into Jesus. This morning, as we pray, I, I wonder if there's someone here who would say, you know what? I've been feeling so distant from the Lord. And, and I, I don't recognize him as a servant. I don't recognize him as coming to serve me and to strengthen me. I don't recognize that kind of love. But I'm beginning to see it. And I wonder if there's someone here this morning, somebody watching online this morning who would say, you know what, I've never surrendered to God because I've been waiting to get my act together. And God says it's not about that. And so as we bow our heads and as we close our eyes this morning, I want to ask you first, if you feel distant from the Lord, if you say, you know what, I just feel at arm's length. I feel like when I pray, it's just hitting off the ceiling and all I can think about is the ways that I have failed. I wonder if this morning with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you would just slip your hand up and say, that's me. That's me. I feel distant from God. And I need him to draw close to me in this moment and in this season. I see your hands this morning. I see your hands. And even at home right now, if you're watching and could just slip up your hand and say, I feel distant from you, Lord. Come to me and show me your nature as the servant. Show me your nature as the one who strengthens me. And maybe you're here this morning and you've never given your heart to Christ. For whatever reason, if you were waiting to get your act together or have just never taken that step. But if you say in your heart, you know what, I do believe. I believe that Jesus lived and I believe that Jesus died for me. And if you're willing to accept him as the Lord of your life, to know that his ways are the best ways and the desire of your heart is to follow after him this morning, Will you just slip up your hand and say, today's the day. Today is the day I want to surrender my life to Jesus today. I see your hand. Just slip it up and put it right back down. Just say, I want to surrender my life to Jesus today. I see your hands this morning. Maybe there's not even enough courage in you. Maybe you're still just scared. Not even enough courage to slip your hand up, but the Lord said it takes just the faith of a mustard seed. So as we pray this prayer right now, in this moment, will you pray this prayer in your heart to the Lord? Just repeat after me this morning. Dear Jesus, all of us together, can you just repeat after me so those that raise their hands won't be singled out? Dear Jesus, dear Jesus, I believe that you lived for me. I believe that you died for me. Wash me clean by your blood and sacrifice. Come and be the Lord of my life. Bring the right people into my life to speak life into me, to show me your ways, and to lead me. I am yours. I surrender. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Let's stand together this morning. If you prayed that prayer, the scriptures tell us that it's on you to tell somebody, to find them and tell them. If you prayed that prayer and you've never surrendered your heart to Christ before, 
The scriptures say that the next thing you need to do is to tell someone and then you need to be baptized. And so the next time you see the baptism offered, you need to sign up. And you need to say, I'm a follower of Jesus. I have changed my lineage from being a descendant of Adam to being a co-heir with Jesus Christ. And I am following after him. Our prayer team is coming at this time and they would love to pray with you this morning. If you gave your heart to Christ and you would just like to tell somebody, they would love to hear it. If you have something pressing on you this week, a family member who's sick or, or something happening in your life, they would love to pray with you. There's power in agreement of prayer. So even as everybody else heads out the door, come and take a moment to pray today. God, I pray your blessing on your people. God, we see your great love, so we know your desire to bless us and to serve us and to strengthen us. So God, this is an easy prayer to pray. I pray this blessing on your people, God, that they would be strengthened and encouraged, that they would have overwhelming peace in their lives. And God, this peace would be evident to those around them so that others come to them and they say, what's different about you? And our answer will be, it's Jesus. My amazing Savior has changed my life. I thank you, God, for this peace, and I pray this blessing on your people now in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Peace be with you.